Father, you've given us an example of what a father should look like. God, help us to run after that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't sit down, dads. Grab your Bible. Everybody else can join you. We are in uh, the book of 2 John. If you read ahead, it took you like all of one minute, maybe two. You could have spelt each letter out. It might have taken you three minutes, but it's pretty short. So all the way at the end of your Bibles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation. So um, Lord willing, unless the rapture happens, which would be awesome, we will be in the book of Revelation sometime in July. So start reading ahead. It's going to be awesome time. John writes himself the elder, whether that be elder in age or elder as in terms of position. The commentators are kind of disagreeing upon what could take place there. To the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. Because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love as the oldest living apostle somewhere around in the 90 AD writes to this lady, he says here in verse 4, and may this truly be said of our own lives. I rejoice greatly that I've found some of your children walking in the truth as we've received commandment from the Father. And God, may your word, the Lord, come to life in each one of our hearts. Lord, speak to us. Lord, may your word find good soil within each heart here this morning. That life change might take place. That we truly might walk away from here more in love with Jesus than when we first walked in. And so please, God, bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The title of my message this morning is, It Just Makes Sense and. I think as we go down through these things, you'll see why it's worded that way. If, if you have children, children, why do you repeat the directions for a particular task that you've previously already given them directions about? If you're an employee, why do you, as, your, as boss, repeat the direction the company is going, even though you've already stated it before, or if you're a Christian? Why does God repeat similar instructions that we find answers elsewhere in the Bible? And I think the answer to each one of these is the same. It's so that we would hear it, that it would settle into our hearts and become a part of us, and then ultimately that we would do it. I mean, that's God's heart in in keeping the Scriptures, is that, that we hear them, they become a part of us, and then the supernatural overflow of God in our lives, we go and we do that. That's God's heart for the church. You know, when we find something that's repeated over and over again, then obviously the person doing the speaking must regard the subject matter as important. And as as John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, this is obviously important to God as he writes to you and I, his audience. And certainly that's what the book of 2 John does here. It really reminds us of what we saw over and over again in 1 John, 
So for some, this might be review. For others, this might be, by, might be new. But as we traveled through 1 John, everything we find here in 2 John, we already saw with a little difference. The word truth shows up four times in the first four verses. Obviously, God must be concerned about it. The word commandment shows up four times as well in verses four through six. Something else God must really be concerned about. And certainly, truth is under attack today. It is. If you haven't noticed, turn on the news. You'll find out that it is. Truth is under attack, it seems, especially and there's only one place to find truth, and that's biblical truth. And John's heart is to this lady, whoever she is, is that she would rest in and abide in the truth, but also then walk in the truth as she did in the beginning. I mean, certainly that's one reason John is writing this, is that she would walk in the truth. But the second reason, I believe, is even maybe a greater reason. He writes to her in this letter that there would be personal involvement in their lives. You know, Jesus has given you and I, the church, a great commission to go out and preach the gospel and make disciples. Well, in order to make disciples, you have to be engaging with people within the local church. Certainly, as you read this, we're going to discover that John the Elder, either in terms of position or in age, he was both, is writing this epistle to a certain, well, it's an individual, it's an unknown lady. Some commentators would say, she represents the church. It could be. You can pick and choose whichever one you like. But we're going to use the lady for the working this down through. It's obviously from the fact of God preserving Second John that he wants us to see what's here because it's just a personal letter from the Apostle John to this elect lady and he writes to her about the importance of fellowship with one another. So if we cheat and we go to the end of the movie and look at verse 12... We're going to find out that, that John has a reason why he's writing to her. We see it here in verse 12. He says, having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face. And that's really how discipleship takes place. If you look at the life of Jesus, 99% of the time he was with his guys or with people was outside of the planned meeting room. This, we'll call this the planned meeting room. But all the other time was outside the synagogue. And he was out there making disciples. And so this becomes a personal letter of John to this lady to encourage her to walk in the truth. But also it shows us a great picture of John investing into her life. You realize over 25% of the books of the New Testament are written to individual people. First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Second and Third John and Jude. They're, they're all written to individuals because, see, the church is always supposed to be coming together. Nobody stands out by themselves. Nobody becomes an island and says, you know, I can do this whole thing by myself. No, that's what cancer cells do. They kind of develop themselves and they attach themselves and they say, look, we don't want anything else to do with anybody else in the body. And then they start to grow and, and they die unless they're cut out. You know, God's heart for the church is that we would be drawing together more and more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Certainly we find that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And so as John writes here, he writes from the point of view that he hopes to see her face to face. Yeah, a letter's good, but I, I, I want to see you face to face. And 
He, and he, he says he has many things to say, but, 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 the, but I'm only going to tell you these first few things right now, and the rest I'll set in motion when I see you face to face. So think about this. If, if, he only has, if he has many things to say, but he's only going to put a couple things down on paper, then couldn't we all agree that these are the most important things? Right? I mean, I, I would hope we could do that. And he has many things to say that, that God is pressing down upon his heart. And so parents, for your children's sake, you got to make sure these are pressing down upon your heart as well, because then you get to press these down upon your kids' hearts as well. Verse 1, the elder, most believe it's John, the last living apostle, to the elect lady and the unnamed lady. And it's important for us to realize why she's unnamed. The church is going through tremendous persecution right now. You know, it's 90, 94, 92, somewhere around their A.D., and so it's written to the unnamed lady because if the letter was to be found, then they would know who to go persecute. Or if it was the church, if the church name was on it, they would know who to go persecute. And so it's written to this unnamed person. And as he writes to her, he says to her, whom I love in truth. And not only I, so I'll love this lady, but also all those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. That, that's a central Christian doctrine, that the truth of Christ in us. You know, you turn to Jesus at salvation. He comes in. He lives with you. He'll be with us forever. And certainly that's what John is referring to here, where he talks about truth as Jesus, where he, he says in John 14, 6, where I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is all truth. And, and, and think about this. If Jesus wasn't all truth, where does truth come from? You go to the truth store and buy some? You go to the bookstore and buy a book on truth? You know, I don't, I don't believe all the founding fathers were Christians, but I do believe all of them used the Bible to set up the structure of our country. Why? Well, because it's the source of all truth. The reason there's other religions is because they take portions out of the truth and mix it with their lie. That's what makes it a good lie. But think about it. Where does truth come from? John is saying that Jesus that lives in us today and will be with us forever, forever is all truth. And if he's with us forever, then think back last week. Everything that you did, Jesus did with you. Everything you saw. Jesus was right there with you. Everything that you participated in, every conversation that you had was in the presence of God because Christ is in us, Paul writes, the hope of glory. And so our great hope and promise is found in God's word that Jesus abides in us today and will be with us forever and ever. That will never change, even though the world around us changes. Even though it seems like portions of the church are starting to change, God's truth will never change. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And the reason being is because God's going to keep them so you and I have a chance to make it out of this world. Truth for you and I, Christian, can never, ever change. Ever. Well, we just don't believe that anymore. Well, I'm sorry, you, you can believe that, but just because you don't believe it's true doesn't mean it's not true. And that's what's happening in the church today. Well, we don't believe that's true. That's okay. That's your choice. I do. So you and I, we can't approach the Word of God as going up to Golden Corral and saying, well, I believe this. I don't believe that. Oh, that. That's ugly. I mean, ooh, liver and onions. They even serve that stuff? I ain't eating that. 
Oh, the ice cream. Yeah, seconds. Seconds and thirds. God's truth, it's the foundation of our lives. And you know, I can rest upon the fact that God's word never, ever changes. It's solid. Verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you. And certainly it will be as the church abides in God's truth. From God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Because the Son is living in you, there's grace for you. Because the Son is living in you, there's mercy. And because the Son is living in you, there's peace. Something the world can't even fathom. They go to this place. They do this meditation. They do all this stuff, trying to gain peace and harmony within themselves, and yet they'll never find it. But for you and I, grace is getting something we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And peace is that constant assurance from God, that peace that surpasses all human understanding. It's ours. It will guard our hearts and our minds as we simply look up and ask God for his peace so we don't have to be anxious about anything. Peace is that calm reminder that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you once you acknowledge him as the Lord of your life. And, and grace and peace and, 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 and or, uh, mercy and grace can st- be standalone words at times. But love and truth can never, ever be separated. Ever. Love and truth must be balanced and connected in association with one another at all times. Because see, if we have just love and no truth, Oh, we've got a totally counterfeit gospel. If we have just truth and no love, we're kind of hypocrites. We need them both. And the way this is written, it seems like love and truth are critical to having the grace, mercy, and peace of God. And this love here, it's agape. It's a sacrificial giving. It's a, it's a verb. It's an action word. And God is calling you and I to be those who possess love and truth. And truth is Jesus, for he says, I am the way, and I alone am the truth. In John 17, when Jesus is praying for his disciples, he says, sanctify them, Father, by your truth. Your word is truth. So we possess it. And team, let me challenge us here. If we possess the truth, then we have a certain responsibility to use the truth, to preach the truth. Because if the church doesn't preach the truth, who will? I know who will. That angel in Revelation chapter, I think it's 13, when we've been raptured out of here, there's an angel that goes through preaching the everlasting gospel to all of those who are left behind. But God wants to use you and me. He wants us to speak the truth, to know the truth. We know that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we know that because it's proclaimed in God's truth. Nowhere else will you find truth that points back to God other than through Jesus. I mean, think about it. If truth is not Jesus, then what's truth? What the Mormons believe? Is that what the Jehovah Witnesses believe? What the Muslims believe? What the Hindus believe? I mean, if, it, if it's not pointing back to Jesus, then where do we go by truth today? You know, whatever man thinks is true... That's pretty scary if that's what we're going to go find truth. You can go find a person. Hey, do you have truth? Oh, yeah, I have truth. Here, let me give it to you. Man, that'd be like during the hippie movement. 
the hippie days. You know, everybody was looking for truth. And, hey, we got truth here. Take this. Oh, well, that wasn't very truthful. <laughs> but it was truthful in what you told me it was going to do. I mean, but, I mean, but we possess the truth. Please keep in mind that truth without love is it's worthless. We need them both in the church today. Truth and love, so critical. You know, love that is just a social project or a social gospel that's infecting parts of the church today. It's not a gospel. It is a gospel, but it's not the true gospel. You know, it's like there's this movement, let's just set aside all truth and let's just come together to love one another for the sake of the project. That is a dangerous doctrine for the church to be involved in. They say all we need to do is just love. No, all we need to love is we need truth. I mean, just think, if you, if you push aside truth and it just centers all on love, well, you, people are going to start to stray. But as you and I speak truth and love with actions and we characterize the love of Jesus flowing out of our lives, then not only do, 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 does the world around us get to hear the truth, but they get to see the truth in us. Something that's so critical today. So don't ever think you can separate truth and love. You can't. They're inseparable words in the church today. And that's what the church needs today. And that's what your children need today as well, parents. I mean, think of the, the, the truth that's being broadcast to your kids today. This is true. This is true. This is true. That's not true. They love one another. That's true. That's accepted. No, it's not. Marriage is being redefined. All these terms of God are being redefined by the new truth. We've got to hold fast to the truth. We've, we, the church, have got to always be speaking the truth in a manner that Jesus would, that would be attractive to sinners. You know, we, that we would quit judging the world, but we'd start loving the world and speaking the truth to them. When I went into the doctor, I didn't want him to say, hey, you know, you're looking really good. No, uh, doctor, I'm going blind. No, no, you're looking really good. You, well, you look great today. I'm going blind. I, I don't want someone to tell me the truth when I got a massive brain tumor. I want them to tell me the truth. I don't want him to just tell me something good. And see, the world is dying. And God has given the church the, the responsibility, but also the joy of declaring truth to lost people. Lost people all around you. So many of them think they're going to heaven because they're good. And if they're going to heaven because they're good, then I guess I'm not making it. Because no one's good, Jesus says. There's no one that's good, not one. We're getting into heaven because of the truth of Jesus Christ and how he's come into us and he's transformed us and he's changing us. It's, it's for by grace you've been saved. By faith, not, not of yourselves. It's not your good works. We, we should have good works. But I don't get into heaven because I do, I've done some good things. That's faulty thinking. John writes here in verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in truth as we've received commandment from the Father. I mean, what a great thing for your children to get caught doing, right? You, you know, we catch our kids doing all kinds of stuff. This would be one of those things you want to catch them doing, walking in the truth. Not just knowing the truth or playing the Christian game because they got some lingo down, but your children are actually walking in the truth. And I believe if 
we as parents are walking in the truth and they will catch that example and it'll make it real easy for them to follow that truth. And, and yet there's a certain, I call it Christian liberal parenting in the church today. For proof, I go back to Santa Barbara. 18 years plus 14 years. And there, I could saw this. It's like, look, where, where in the Bible does it say that? And then you look, all the fast forward all these years later and you realize it didn't pay off. Parents, please don't give in to letting your kids set the direction in the home in regards to spiritual things. Be the example like Jesus is coming back, we gotta get after this or however that's gonna play out but keep Jesus first. Man, so many heartbreaking stories of growing kids that are no longer walking with the Lord. Why? And they go, wow, we just don't know why. I know, because I was back there when you were raising your kids. And we didn't have kids. So, well, you, you don't know anything. You don't have kids. Okay, well, we got kids now. Well, they're not old enough. You wait till they get to be in kindergarten, and then you wait till they get into sixth grade, and you wait till they get into junior high. Well, we, we, they are. And we always were discounted. And yet all we did was look at the Bible and looked at how the Father was to us. It's like, well, that must be the exact way God wants us to raise our kids. And I know there's exceptions to the rule. But so much of it is they're not walking because there was so much compromise growing up. Oh, yeah, we don't need to go today. No, we don't need to go do that. You know, no, no, we're not going to read that together as a family. It's critical. Parents were not living it out and when it came to the spiritual lies and truth was being redefined in their homes, not based upon God's word, but just based upon what they thought. And it was tragic. See, it never, no one ever thinks about it at the moment but see, we always reap what we sow, but we never reap tomorrow. In many cases, it was years later. It's tragic. One mom with growing kids came up to me and she said, thank you for continually challenging us to live by the word of God. I said, you're welcome. Most of her kids are married and all of them are still walking with the Lord. Guys, there is only one way for you and I to live in this life. It's by the word of God. By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's critical. And those that live that way, they reap the consequences of that godly decision. Their kids are still walking with the Lord. Walking in the truth is that critical mass today. It is. It's so important in our lives. So many today and down through the church age have abandoned the truth and they've kind of decided to seek to walk in their own vain thinking and their own foolish wisdom, but it, it's taking them farther and farther away from where they really want to be. Paul warns us in Colossians chapter 2, in verse 8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ, for in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's where we gotta be found. Walking in truth is basic Christianity 101. And John is encouraged here that some of these ladies', ladies children are still walking in the truth. That's where we wanna be found, man. Leading our homes, 
doing it with our wives, so jointly we're living it out, and then we're teaching it to our kids. He says here in verse 5, I plead with you. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you. I mean, it's like he's begging here almost. You know, he's pleading. There's a sense of begging attached to it. Not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we've had from the beginning, so a little review, that we love one another. That's how the church has to be. We got to love one another. Got to speak truth to one another. We got to love one another. And here's John pleading with the lady. Love one another. Love one another. Amazing theme that we're commanded to love four times here. And love not based on just feelings. You know, God doesn't look down from heaven and go, oh, I feel so good about my creation. No, love isn't an adjective. Love here is a verb. Love is a, co- is a covenant that God has with this world. For God so loved the world that he gave. See, love has giving attached to it. That we give our lives away. It's critical. And as God loved the world, that love resulted in action. And John is pleading with this lady by way of a commandment to love one another. And then John is going to go on here and he's, he's going to describe really what this should practically look like. Here's what he says. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. That his is, is rightly capitalized. And this is the commandment that you've heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. So the commandments we know, it's love God, love others. It's, it's never changed. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So none, none of that's ever changed. But the challenge to the lady from John is walk in it. You know, it's not just know it. No, we got to now walk it out. You see, it's not enough just to know the commandments, but we must walk in them if our faith is real. And if it's real, then we obey and, and we live it out. If you remember, John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, this is what he said, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. You see, Christianity is not a hearing type of thing only. If I truly believe, well, I'm going to do. I'm going to walk like Jesus walked. At least I'm going to seek to walk that way. Never getting there. But that doesn't mean I give up trying. But we want to live that way. Because that's what God is calling us to do. You know, know, Jesus says, uh, on these two commandments hang the entire Old Testament. Love God and love others. Love is important for you and I. Because see us, the church loves each other, each one of us individually. The world looks in and goes, that's not humanly possible because look how diverse we are. I mean, look around. We're pretty diverse. It's a pretty diverse group. And as the world looks in and says, you know, there's some, there's, there must be something to this. Yeah, there is. Because the common denominator is Jesus in us. And that's what causes us to love others. For many deceivers, he's kind of changing the topic here from love and truth. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Or simply put, they're just liars. 
And they're seeking to deceive. They're seeking to lead people away from the centrality of Jesus Christ. And certainly on numerous occasions after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to many. He showed himself in bodily form, and even though, oh, we don't believe. Now Jesus says, no, come and touch me. A spirit doesn't have flesh and, and, and bones. Hey, and then he would say, hey, you got anything to eat? So I guess maybe in the resurrection we're going to have restaurants where we can eat and never gain weight. I mean, I, I don't know, but I mean, every time Jesus shows up, you got any food? I mean, he's there at the beach in Galilee with Peter. He's already got the fire cooking when they show up and touch me. All these statements support a bodily resurrection. And John is here saying that those who deny that Jesus has come in bodily form and he's going to come back when he, the same way he left, he says those are deceivers. You see, Jesus came as 100% man and 100% God. He's going to come back the same way, but only in a glorified body. And if any religions or cults do not teach that, Jesus came that way. If you look what it says here, they have to throw out God the Father and God the Spirit also. And yet we know what the Mormons and the J-Dubs teach. The, the Mormons teach that Jesus was the brother of, of, of the devil, and the Jehovah Witnesses teach that Jesus was an angel. Muslims say he was a, a, a prophet. The Hindus say he was an enlightened master. But see, they deny Jesus as being God, who became man and walked among us. And so all those views must be rejected because they are not biblical truth. Yeah, yes, they're nice people. Yes, they are sincere. But they're sincerely deceived because they don't match the scriptures. And I understand today that would probably make us a bigot today. But that's only in man's eyes. We, we can't move away from what is God's truth to appease mankind. And I like the fact that the baker in Oregon, I think, just before we left, the Supreme Court case, allowed him to bake cakes for whoever he wanted to and to be able to say, no, he didn't have to bake cakes for who he didn't want to. So it's protected still. It's like, it's like God's slowing everything down a little bit because if he would have lost, everything would have accelerated. And I believe God wants to do one last thing here. But it's up to you and I to go out and, and speak truth and, and not worry about, oh, wow, you're, that's kind of narrow-minded thinking. But we all should know how to answer that when people say that. We don't want to be taken captive to these. Look, look to yourselves. Look what it says here in verse 8. Pretty challenging the way this is worded. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, I don't think he's talking about salvation, but he's talking about our rewards, that you may receive a full reward. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about how we're, our, our works are going to go through the fire, and those things that survive and last will be carried on into heaven, and the other things will burn up. And so there's seems like a little warning to you and me. Hold on to the truth. Don't let the false prophets or teachers or religious mislead you. Stay true to the Scriptures. And it's interesting to me, that the cults always go after weak Christians. I've talked with many of them over the years. And many times it's like, well, hey, did you grow up in this? Oh, no, I was this, or I was this, or I was that. I was Baptist, I was Methodist, I was Catholic. It's like, how's that possible? Because they didn't know what their Bible said. They may say they're going door to door, but the reality is, they're going out seeking to convert 
someone that's already converted into a false way of thinking because they have no power to convert. When I was over the Sunday school in Santa Barbara, we had 120 teachers, and one of the teachers, he put his Bible down. And he'd come and ask me a question. It's like, bro, that sounds like something a Jehovah Witness would ask. Oh, no. And then he came again and asked another. I said, bro, that, I'm telling you, are, are you, are you reading their stuff? Is someone talking with you? He goes, well, yeah, I meet with this guy. And, and see, what happened was he set his Bible down and started reading their material. And over a course of time, he would come and we would show him his answers in the scriptures. But he'd use their books to seek to counter the truth. And over time, he wrote us a letter saying he was going to disassociate himself from us, calling us Babylon the whore that was heading to H-E double hockey sticks. He was one of our Sunday school teachers. No longer wanting to associate with us because he had what he believed was the new truth. The problem is, it's not. You know, this man was simply unwilling to look at just the truth. All of a sudden, he thought he was smarter and he needed the truth plus some other stuff. And he thought he could discern the truth from the lie. He lost his reward. But he lost more than his reward. He lost his, his salvation if he doesn't repent. Because if you have the wrong Jesus, you got the wrong everything. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things that we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. I mean, that's, that's God's word. That, I mean, that's why we want you to have your Bible open. Look, it's pretty straightforward. Well, this is what I believe. Okay, I understand that's what we believe. But look, this is what the Bible proclaims. Whoever sins and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God, and their sin is not forgiven. I'll add that. Because everybody sins. But if we don't have the doctrine of Christ, of God becoming man and, and dying on that cross for our sins, where, where Jesus literally gave up his life that we could be forgiven, if you don't have that, you don't have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. The doctrine of Christ is Jesus, who is God, became flesh and walked among us. Jesus is where it's at. Anything beyond that is just, it's just wrong. And again, regardless of how sincere they are, they are sincere. They are loving. Many of them are very loving. Maybe more so than you and I. Why? Because it's, their salvation is dependent upon it. Because you can walk up to them. If Barry was one, I'd say, hey, Barry, do you know if you're going to heaven today? you say, well, I don't know. But see, you can walk up and you can say, hey, do you know if you're going to heaven? Yeah, absolutely. Why? Because Jesus lives in me. Because I turned my heart over to Jesus and said yes, and I'm doing the best I can to follow him even though I fail every day. But he's the Lord of my life. See, they don't know. There's no assurance of salvation until they die. It's sad. But see, you and I, we know the truth. We have it. We possess it. And thus, Jesus needs to be the main thought in all that we do in talking with others. Please don't get caught up on talking about, well, you know, you used to do blood transfusions and now you don't. And Well, you know, he was a false prophet. You know, he got arrested. And, yeah, those are all sub things. Listen, if they don't believe Jesus is God Almighty that came in the flesh, no use talking anymore. 
Because if they won't get that, if the Spirit of God is not convicting their heart or opening their eyes, helping them to see that Jesus is God, if they don't get that, you can't go to part two or step three or whatever. And plus, you and I will never reason somebody into the kingdom of heaven if the Holy Spirit's not there calling them to Jesus' side. Never happen. If they're not open, they're not open. Move on. Pray for them. Maybe go back, scatter some seed on another time. But if they're not open, just keep moving. Jesus, as the angel or the devil's brother, mm, that's never going to get you to God. It's going to get you somewhere, but it's not going to get you to God. Only Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, that's what's accepted in heaven. I mean, that's why Jesus ascended to the Father and sits at the right hand. Because the righteousness that is needed for you and I to get into heaven is the righteousness of Christ. Because Jesus is accepted in heaven. And we need his righteousness. Which is God becoming man and dwelling among us. Listen to Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. It was spoken 700 years before the birth of Christ. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Remember that word. Isaiah 9, 6. Again, 700 years before Jesus was born. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name, I add, his name singular, because that's how it reads, and his name shall be called Wonderful, comma, Counselor, comma, Mighty God. Of course, the J-Dub say it doesn't say Almighty God. Oh, like that really makes a difference. Everlasting Father, comma, Prince of Peace. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Jesus or uh, Joseph is trying to figure out what to do with Mary. She's pregnant. She said, oh, I got pregnant by God. Joseph goes, yeah, right. I mean, and so he's trying to figure out what to do. And so the angel comes to him and says, Joseph, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Just like in... Isaiah 7, which is translated God with us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning from God. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, that of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And there are hundreds of places to go look at to find that point to Jesus being God. And I trust you'll find them. If you read your Bible looking for no, nothing other than looking for places that makes Jesus God, you'll find hundreds, if not thousands of places. When you put them all together, they make this really thick net of the Trinity. I mean, the Jews understood who Jesus was. Or who he, oh, let me rephrase that. The Jews understood who Jesus was claiming to be. That's why they always wanted to kill him. And then even when they did crucify him, they crucified him because Jesus was blaspheming and making himself out to be God. So who, who better to know who Jesus was? The Mormons, the J-dubs, the Hindus, the Muslims, or the Jews that were right there who said, hey, he's making himself out to be God. We need to crucify him. Yeah, that's because he was God. They missed it. John points out in verse 9, if you downgrade Jesus to an angel or some other created creature, you have neither the Father nor the Son. That's not a good place to be. And if anyone comes to you, and this, this is a warning here for you and I, if anyone comes to you and does not he bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. 
Those are pretty stern words. But I hope we can see why. Because if they come knocking, they're denying the doctrine of Christ, and it's quite possible they could lead you astray. And so these are God's words. They're not my words. Now, I don't think he's saying don't have a non-believing friend. I don't think that's what this is saying. But if they're coming into your home deliberately to deceive you or to lead you away to a different doctrine than the basic doctrine of Jesus Christ, what this is saying is they got to go. And maybe that is some of your friends or maybe even some of your family. The words are do not entertain them, bid them goodbye. It's a tough word. But think of the complications, team. You entertain them, they could potentially lead you astray. And for what? For failure to heed God's word here. Well, how could that happen? Simple. One of the families I, I spoke with in the last two weeks, one of their sons failed to heed the word here and married a Mormon girl in the Mormon temple. How's that possible? Simple. Failure to live by God's word. It's really simple. I don't, I don't need that. I can pick and choose my own. He got the girl. I hope he didn't lose his Jesus. It's tragic. Just for failing to heed God's word here. He was like, mm. he was probably like fourth or fifth grade when we left. What happened? I don't need that book. Happens. Verse 12. Having many more things to write to you. I did not wish to do so with paper and ink. We don't even know what these things are. But we do know these are the most critical. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face. Again, it's a great look at making disciples. This is what making disciples looks like, face-to-face. Again, you and I, we've got to be involved in other people's lives. You know, if you read Titus chapter 2, women, it says the older women are to train up the younger women to love their husbands, to be respectful. So if the older women aren't training up the younger women to love their husbands, then who is? The TV shows, Hollywood? Us guys, we don't get a pass either. We're supposed to be investing into the lives of the younger men. And see, that's what keeps the church current and fresh and on track of where we need to be. And so we get a great look at what making disciples looks like right here in verse 12. And John's heart is, look, I want to see you face to face and I want to impart some new things to you. That's my hope. I hope to come to you. I don't know if we, we don't know if he ever did, but that's his heart. And look what it says, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that your joy, that our joy may be full. I mean, certainly going back and seeing all these people, it was awesome. My joy was full. When we go overseas and you see people you haven't seen in a while, man, it's just like you saw them yesterday. Your joy's full because there's something about Christian fellowship that is nowhere else on the planet. Because if you were in the world like I was, the world wants two things. It wants something from you and you want something from it. It does. It wants something. But in the church, it should be all about loving others and giving of our lives away. It's not, what can I get from Barry? 
I'll get a young back from Barry. <laughs> no, it should be all about our lives. I've given our lives away, but not the world. Oh, man, it always wants to take, 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 take. But as believers, we should be all about give, 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 give. Give our lives like Jesus did. He's our example. Paul says, imitate me because I'm imitating Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He gave his life away. And it, that's what causes joy to be full in our lives. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. So obviously the elect lady from verse 1 had an elect sister, and together they have children that believe in the truth. I mean, that'd be epic. I'd love for brothers and sisters I grew up with to be believers. That would be epic. Some of you have them. Maybe, I don't know, maybe many of you, uh, many of you do. I, I don't. I have a dad that at age 83 gave his life to Christ, and everybody else is unsaved, even though we pray for him every day. It would be epic. You know, if you want to keep your home, then you need to keep your home in the truth of God's word. Man, it's so critical. But then you also need to walk in it, families, moms and dads. You got to practice it. Because look, listen, you tell your kids, this is the truth, this is the truth, this is the truth. This is the only truth, so help me God. This is the only truth, only truth. And then all of a sudden, you deviate from the truth. What does that do to your kids? I know what the devil does. Well, if, look, if they're saying that's the truth, but they're not doing that, well, how do you know that's true? Woo, and away they go. And they go. And they go. The good thing is some of them made it back. Not many. But some were so far lost they made it back. Others are still lost. You know, we tell them, nope, this is true. Nope, that's not the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. We've got to live it out. Got to lay our lives down for others in what the Bible would call agape love. You know, walking in truth and love in your home and in the church as we look forward to the near return of Jesus Christ. That just makes sense because that's how God's called us to walk. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives.